Hello everyone and welcome to another fireside chat. Uh, I'm here uh, with Sandro Mancuso and Mash. Uh, and as usual, we're going to have a little chat. No, uh, not prepared, very improvised. Today's topic is something that comes up very often, right? Like we go, you know, conferences or, you know, we're talking to clients or, and people ask us, how do I convince my X, no, uh, to do TDD or to go for continuous integration or for, right? And we can probably generalize this to how do I drive adoption of technical practices, right? And I think is that that's something quite quite interesting and useful uh, for everyone out there. So we wanted to, yeah, deep deeper into into that topic that we all have a lot of experience with. So to get the ball rolling. Um what kind of practices no would be interesting to to kind of adopt, right? Because a lot of the times we're just trying to push one agenda or, or one particular thing, no, but I, I I think that question is is worth you know getting to, right? Like what what do you think? Like what what's what would you consider adopting no or trying to drive the change for? I mean I can I can start. Uh, I think there is a good catalog of practices that is part of the part of XP, right? So a lot of the times when people ask that question, they they are referring to testament development, maybe they're uh, referring to continuous integration and so on, right? So, or the whole team, uh, simple design, these things that come out of XP and, and all those practices are, are definitely uh, worth adopting in your context, of course. Uh, but there are other practices as well, things that come out of, uh, you know, the DevOps kind of body of knowledge, thing that, things that come out of continuous delivery. And also in the process side of things, things that come out of lean, um, things even things like Scrum and so on, believe it or not, is the, the, these things are not always uh, prevalent in 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 certain organizations and bringing them in can be quite challenging. So when people ask, I think kind of these things that broadly fit under the agile and DevOps uh, continuous del delivery, these kind of umbrellas, and even now service design, lean, those kind of things, uh, they're often the ones that people are referring to when, when they're asking for how do I convince my stakeholder or my team to adopt this certain or this set of practices. Yeah, and it's funny because like for, I cannot even remember how many times inside the software craftsmanship communities, this question was asked. How do I convince my manager that we should do TDD? How, but uh, also what I realized, like speaking to many developers over many, many, many years, mainly within the craftsmanship community is that there is a, an element of trying to convince the business about technical practices, but quite often they struggle with their own colleagues that are other developers, other technical people as well. Uh, and, and in terms of your original question, Jose, which technical practices are worth adopting? Of course, that it varies uh, given what problem we're trying to solve, but more often, like when people ask that question, as Mesh said, they are talking about uh, XP practices which Mesh already mentioned quite a few of those. And there is also an interesting debate about code reviews, right? So when you do code reviews, do you do before the, the commit? Do you do after the commit? Do, how often do you do that? So, so this is also- oh, Do you even how, need do you them? Not do it at all. Do, do you exactly, do or do you do? In fact, so trunk-driven development is very close to that as mm. well, right? And also, how does it compare to pair programming as well? So if you have a strong culture of pair programming, so do we need this kind of thing? So so when you talk about uh, technical practices, of course, that uh, one thing that we need to understand is like which practices we're talking about and what kind of problem we're trying to solve. But mostly people are asking around XP practices. Yeah, so you, you mentioned the context is, is very important when you're talking about this. But a lot of the time you see people uh, wrapping these practices around best, you know, the label of best practices. Now, why are we doing it? It's because it's best practice in the industry. No, um, 
And and that's an interesting because what is best practice is actually, you know, like a rule of thumb, right? Like it, it works, mm -hmm. you know, most of the time, most of the context, you know, it's being proven that it works, but that may not be the case for your particular context, mm -hmm. right? Um, and I think that's that's an important aspect as well, because there is this, this, um, this, I, I'm learning to do it, right? Or, or I, I know that I need to go in a certain direction and, you know, I'm going to use this recommendation and try to drive it, but it, it creates, you no know, a bit of a, a, a barrier as well by not following an, a pragmatic approach, so to speak, you no, know, or, or understanding what the context is and just, you know, going at it like a salad, you no, know, like the, the dogmatic kind of uh, approach, you no, know? and that's, that's part of, of the problem no? there is another point to this jose is that uh, sometimes we kind of when we say adopting a practice a good or a best practice right and of course we caveat that you know you need to apply it in a context uh, but there is another element to this is that we assume that these practices will be applied well right they they and in fact sometimes not applying that practice versus applying them badly, the not applying one is better, right? So the, we always assume that, you know, it's like, you know, take testing development or take um, continuous delivery of these things that if you apply, we always think it's a binary, you apply it or not, but if you apply it, you will always apply it well. But that's not, not normally the case. You can apply it badly and, and that, be that could be a bad decision on your part right yeah the remedy is worse no than the than the sickness yeah. kind of thing no? exactly yeah this is this is uh quite often a problem and this happens to everything even i don't want to deviate too much but but agile and mainly scrum is a good example of that as well right so but with technical practice that certainly happens uh because like a bad adoption might lead to inefficiency Right, so this is what normally happens. So it's already I struggle to convince people to adopt a practice. And then when you adopt that practice, what normally happens because you are changing the way we work, more often than not, you'll be much slower because you are learning. The same way I, I make the comparison when you are learning a new programming language, right? You know how to program, but you are now adopting a new programming language. So naturally you will be a bit slower to achieve something compared to if you were using the language that you are very familiar. Now, technical practice, the same thing. You, you are changing the way you work, so you become slower. And I think, Jose, you mentioned in, in a previous episode, the J curve, right? So, so you are in a constant speed, let's say. You adopt a new practice, so that is that deep. So you, you become a bit slower while we are learning with the expectation that over time, as you become more familiar, as you become more comfortable, you will be in a position that you are more efficient uh, than you were before. Uh, but quite often, well, when this is applied badly, you don't have that J-curve. You just go down and mm. you stabilize in a worse place, mm. right? And in fact, I'd add to the, 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 thing, the analogy of learning a new language. I'd say it's not just a new language. I'd say it's a new language from a different paradigm. So if you, you are, uh, used to OO, then you are now programming in another language that is has a functional paradigm, for example, because often these practices require a, a shift in your mindset. Technical practices are often that way. They're not just about, they. a lot of them seem to be quite simple uh, from the surface of things, but they have the subtlety within it that actually can 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 be uh, the difference between actually benefiting from it or or getting harm from it as well. No, go on. No, go on. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go no, ahead. I was just thinking like how we structure that because we already started with quite a different a few threads, right? So because we can talk about the inefficiencies of each practice. For example, if you mentioned TDD, what are the the the, the challenges in there? Like what are the things that might make you more inefficient? before it makes you efficient per programming, the same thing, and mm -hmm. continuous integration, and so on and so forth. 
but there are other aspects as well. So there is the convincing aspect that that's where we start from. So I'm just trying to, to organize the... Yeah, let, let's let's go for the challenges, right? Because one of the things that, that we already mentioned was, okay, you're, you're assuming that by adopting this practice, you're going to do it properly. Now you're going to mm -hmm. rip the benefits of it because you're doing yeah. it the way that it's supposed to be done. And I would say that that's one of the challenges, right? Like you are, a, a lot of the times you're trying to establish something in which you don't have experience in, right? Like you, you're mm -hmm. trying, you know, if you're doing TDD, it's like you're, maybe you're learning TDD or you, you learn a little bit, you know, outside of work, but now you're trying to bring it into a different context you know, uh, that is not solving a kata or doing a, a pet project at, at home, no? So that level of, you know, lack of skills, let's say, it's, it's one of those barriers or one of those challenges that you need to deal with or at least account for if you're going to try to do something like this. Uh, what other things you, you, do you think could be also challenges or barriers in that sense? I, I can tell you from a, a personal experience. I, I even tell this story uh, when I'm delivering the training, trainings in, in, in uh, uh, TDD and stuff. I, when, when the first time I came across TDD, I didn't even understand that very well. And then I had someone, in fact, it, he works for us, like Akbar. Uh, so when I joined Valtec a, a long time ago and we worked together, he challenged me to, to, to learn TDD. And he said, well, Sandra, you like so much like software design and the nitty gritty of the code, the craft and stuff. Why don't you try TDD? And first of all, I rejected. And the reason I'm telling this story because like sometimes you want to convince other people, but I, I, went, I remember what I went through to convince myself in the first place. And that made me understand why other people would reject them. Because I rejected TDD the first time I came across. First of all, I thought I didn't need that. I thought that my code was good enough to say, hey, I code very well, I know what I'm doing, uh, and I don't need that. And then one of the things that in, that uh, in those conversations that we had back then, uh, I remember uh, Akbar saying, for example, yeah, but you, know, you need to remember that a software project is not only about you. Isn't it nice when you go to a project and you are, for example, you can, you feel comfortable changing the code and you can press a button and you know if you broke something, would it be a, a good feeling? So that was one of the arguments. So that, that's, for example, kind of, that, that's kind of awareness, no, that there is a need for, you know, that, that's kind of like the very, you no, know, like why, why? Like, I don't need this, right? Like there is no, uh, there is no awareness that is something that will benefit you or that it's even necessary, you know, in that sense. There is awareness a, and there is an element of being selfish as well, because like uh, back then I was very focused on what I do, what is best for me, the way that is more efficient for me, but I didn't have a good awareness of the impact within the team. So I was just focused on me. And, and, and when he started using say, like, hey, wouldn't it be nice if you could very quickly know if something was broken or if someone else broke your code? And, and when, I, when I start seeing from a different perspective, not from the effort of me doing TDD, but the actual result of a code that had been test uh, driven or that had at least automated tests, even if the tests were added afterwards, that's when I said, okay, so I understand that I need to play my part. So that was one side of the story is me being convinced that I had to play a part on a wider team and it was not just about me. And I'm, I have no shame in saying I was very selfish. I was younger. I was focusing on me. And uh, the, but then, then that led me to try. And I was in an environment, this is also an important thing to say that um, I mean, the environment that I was on, uh, in, made me comfortable to try. So they were willing to give me that time to say, you know what, we want to work that way. So put the effort. I hated it. Like I tried for a month, TDG specifically. Hated it with a passion. And I said, like, this is stupid. So, and then, then I remember Akbar saying, no, no, you know what, try hard, try wholeheartedly. Hated it for a full month. And why did I hate that? because I felt that I was very inefficient. I was very used to, I, I was working with Java for a very long time. I was very used to get things done. I, I knew the language very well. I could do most of the, the things that I had to do very quickly. But as soon as I was asked to work in a different way, 
I, I didn't know where to start. I didn't know how to test certain parts of the system. And, and that frustration of being slow, of not being productive, made me hate CDG. So it took me a long time until I was, people were still pushing me, no, you know what, try, it's okay. And then I started learning the base and becoming more and more comfortable. And I felt that I became a little bit faster and faster as I learned more. That's when I, I started really embracing that. But my first uh, contact was, was painful. So did you have someone around you? Because you mentioned you now the context was there for you to try things, no? Did you have someone who was already, let's say, fluent or fluid, no? And, and the practice to, to help you out there? Or no, this it... is what I missed. This is precisely okay. what I missed. Because what I had, in at least in that project, in that situation, what I had, I had an organization that would like all the developers to adopt certain practices because they, they, they recognize the value of it once we mastered. And they were willing to give us the time to, to, to practice and, and adopt. But as an individual, it was a very frustrating and it needed a lot of persistence from my side uh, to actually overcome that initial barrier because I didn't feel good. But it would, it would have been far easier if I could have paired with someone and say, you know what, well, this is being difficult, but you just put a mock in there, just isolate that part. That's how you do that. This is the different levels of test and all those different styles of TDD and so on and so forth. And even, even if they could actually do it in front of you while you sat yes. and observe, right? Yes. And, and they show their proficiency yeah. and they show that it can be quite natural to code in this way. Yeah. Right? Exactly. Yeah. In fact, um, I was teaching my son test-driven development uh, a couple of weekends ago. Um, and uh, we started with a kata. And when I wrote the first kata, uh, first test for him, and then I made it pass. And then I kind of guided him to write the next test and made it pass. And I asked him, like, what are the things? And he said, well, he feels it's a lot of effort in going about things to do what I need to do. And I said, okay, but like carry on. So we were doing, I think it was Roman numerals. Um, I think, no, it was, it could even, yeah, yeah, I think it was Roman numerals. And then I said to him, okay, actually and he's, you know, he's just about to go to university. So he, he, he said, okay, I'll, I'll give it a go. And, and then he, before he wrote the next test, he started thinking about the solution and got quite overwhelmed by the solution and said, oh, you know, how do I solve the problem of Roman numerals that there'll be these kind of things and they'll be different and so on. I said, no, forget, forget all about this. Just write the simplest next test that will allow you to code a bit in the production code. Just the, that will do the way you could do the minimum. And so, so we kind of came up with the next simplest one. He wrote it and he quickly made it pass. Then he said, okay, let's write the next simplest and write it and quickly made it pass. And suddenly he got into the flow where he, he actually forgot about thinking the, ho uh, the, the whole kind of problem because it was too much for him to, to handle at once and started thinking more about the, how do you verify that my program is doing well? And then refactor to, and then think about the holistic solution. But you know, you already know a lot. And then after we finished the kata, we I asked him. It took a few hours and asked him like, "How do you feel?" And he said, "Well, I actually felt quite confident that I was." And this is the first time I do it. But the thing is, it's not that he's a, an absolute pro, uh, kind of prodigy in uh, in testing and development. It's because he was sat with somebody who has been doing it for a long time and was kind of guiding him slowly into the practice and you know not allowing him to get too anxious about it and showing him the benefits and so on not that you know the next kata he writes is going to be brilliant at it no but it slowly introduced him alleviating his fears and helping him see the value behind it and i think that those are the kind of things that you need when you're starting out new practices because you do have that fear and not everybody has that zen mentality of the beginner's mind you know that where they flourish in in when they are being stretched but you know they they most people actually fear it 
But, but there is the, the element of being pressured as well, right? Because, for mm -hmm. example, if you are being asked to adopt a new technical practice at the same time that they want the next feature done, so so there is a conflict. There is a. Mm -hmm. This is what we, we discuss sometimes. Uh, it's like there is a conflict between learning a skill and delivering fast, right? So so the, the learning and delivering, there is a conflict. You need to learn and adopt new practice. You need to slow down. To internalize those practices so that you collect the result later on but you cannot have both at the same time yeah so the, there is another uh, challenge there where you know this needs to make sense for the business so the the business needs to either be aware like you said no of, of the value and be open to make the investment let's say in order to to realize the benefits no um or it should happen or it should be something where uh that uh, tension now between the delivery and, and, and learning is sort of mitigated somehow, right? Like it could be, you know, there's someone who already knows it and maybe you start doing it, but only in specific parts uh, of the code or maybe at specific times, things like this, no? But uh, it, not to focus too much on TDD because we're, you know, we're going down that road, but there's things like pair programming who constantly also come up. Uh, it's like, why do I need to, you know, I'm paying for two people to, you know, write one code. Like, what's what's this, right? Like, uh, and and that's sometimes hard to for, for you know, managers or, or business uh, on the side to realize what the value of doing something like that is. No, yeah. I, I, that, I would that, say. That, no, sorry, go on, go on. No, go. You go. No, I was just saying that that is a tough one. This actually pair programming is a is a well chosen practice for this purpose because. It's one of those that actually you you the people the people doing it, as soon as they start doing it, more often than not, they start enjoying it immediately almost. Right? But it's especially in certain circumstances. But they they are difficult to uh, convince the people outside the team or uh, the people who are kind of, you know, they are looking at time and you know the old traditional thing they're not looking at impact they're looking at motion how much action do i get in my uh, in in the time that i pay for and those people don't seem to like it and they almost see uh, they they almost see there is a difference between uh, talking and coding right so when when you are developing software versus when you are discussing with each other they think that you're talking to each other so you're not doing the work so you, you get this kind of a barrier. And this is a, it's very different to testing development in that way because here it's more about how do you present the outcomes to somebody else, not to yourself, to somebody else. And it's a tough one. It's a tough one. I mean, I've not seen many successful attempts at people empirically presenting a better outcome for for the case of pair programming in teams not that you can't but i haven't seen it much so the, there are technical practices that i really really love and some of them that i don't like so much so i'm gonna be a bit controversial here because pair programming is one that i don't like so much and i'll tell you why um, so first of all i need my space right so there are times when i'm working I cannot even explain what I'm trying to do to myself. I just need that space. So although there is a lot of advantages of me trying to explain, let's say, Mesh, if I'm pairing with you, like there is a lot of advantage of me trying to explain that to you because it will help me to uh, organize my thoughts or structure my thoughts, bounce ideas as soon as I mention, hey, what about this? You can immediately say, oh, but what about that? And so on and so forth. That discussion has a lot of value, yeah? And I like that discussion, but there is a time for that discussion, right? So there are times that I'm not even prepared to have a discussion yet, and I need some time. And then that is the time where, for example, we both know exactly what needs to be done. If you were working separately, we would probably do exactly the same thing. And then we are just waiting, just looking at each other, typing on the keyboard, bored, Okay, now he's going to create the service method. Yeah, the service will have those three lines that we discussed. It will talk to a repository. It needs to access that table. It needs to update that screen. 
and, and you are just there waiting for the other person to type what you already know what's gonna be what's gonna happen and that for me is very frustrating it's just a bloody waste of time so for me technical practices they need to be solving a problem i think the point that i'm trying to make here is that uh technical practices are a means to an end that's the point that i'm trying to make here i don't think we should pair program for the sake of pair programming or just because it's one of the xp practices and we like xp i don't think we should type tdg just because we should do tdg or i think we should like what is the problem that we're trying to solve that this adopting this practice or working this way would help us to, to solve that problem. And then I'm on board. But if you are not solving a problem, then I will see that as waste. Yeah. And quite often pair programming in certain contexts, I want to make very clear, I'm not against pair programming. I'm not in the extremes. I hated what I love. What I'm saying that pairing is one of the practices that I like to use in certain you Sometimes, but not other times. That's what I'm trying to say. Exactly. You you need to know you know how to use it, right? Like you need to yeah. apply it properly, right? Like it's it just because you know you can't go to the extreme if it doesn't make sense, right? Mm -hmm. And that's that's part of of, of the brain. But uh, yeah. before you you mentioned something, no, which is making a case for something like that, uh, which is part of the you know, and and it goes back to that question of why no why are we trying to adopt these practices what is the benefit and if you frame things this way i think that's a very good way to to get at least get the conversation started with whomever it is that you want to help adopt this thing now if it's the team why are we doing this right like what is it that, it, that would help us solve of course it's going to be a team scoped need Right, mm -hmm. because this is the yeah. people that you're talking to. But if you're talking to a manager or or, or a product owner or whoever, right, um, their point of view will come from a different place. So it wouldn't. It, it will no longer be about how well you know how we feel about it. It could be about you know upskilling. It could be about sharing knowledge uh, of the system. It could be about you know standardizing. It would be about onboarding. Like there, there's so many things in which you know pair programming will help you. It would be about com complexity, you know, making sure that you know you either have a, a subject matter expert with you when you're doing things so that no. So there are many other, you know, if you ask that question of why, then there are many other uh, angles that you can take that will make sense for the people that you're going to be talking to. And in some cases, you can even quantify it, right? So how long yeah. would it take for someone without pair programming to get, a, you know, onboarded and be able to do things, you know, be proficient and, and add, you know, to that uh, capacity of the team versus... Yeah, doing it on its own and and you know following whatever documentation we have that may be outdated or whatever right so mm -hmm. so those things will help you uh, you know answering that question of why with whichever practice you go for mm -hmm. you know will help you get that conversation started and 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 that it will help you adopt the the practice better as well because when you concentrate on the why you you are more focused on on where it applies and how it applies, right? I actually agree with Sandro about pair programming. In fact, um, I, 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 in certain cases, I think it's actually detrimental, but in the other cases, it's it's amazing. Like in my own experience, I actually find pair programming amazing in problem analysis, but not so great in solution design. So especially when we're talking about the problem context, and the, the story itself and discussing it. I often used to pair with another person where you would pair on a feature, but you would kind of really analyze it, really try to understand it, see if they, you got the right understanding, even kind of create high level designs, start building parallel parts of it coming together often. And even sometimes even pairing on certain things where this person has more expertise in this area or this part of the language or so on and then kind of going away, but you're constantly kind of uh, coming back and testing, uh, verifying what you've done and your knowledge with each other. To me, that is a much better use of test-driven development, I mean, pair programming, than, you know, the Sandro's case where, you know, I have been like, you kind of, you know, you got the driver and navigator and whoever is writing the code is writing the code and the other one is daydreaming or, you know, is getting really, really bored. Uh, or being even worse, being disruptive, 
like you missed yeah. it. <laughs> but, but again, but it's contextual. Eh? Sorry, but, yeah. but it's also contextual. Is who are the people that are doing that? Because if you're pairing, you know, if there are two people with a lot of experience and they already know that that's, you know, that may be detrimental to to actually being productive and, and to get things done. But if it's yeah. someone that has no idea, maybe, you know, you're pairing with someone who just started or doesn't know the system or all of these things. It, it fulfills a different purpose. There is value as well in explaining your train of thought and how you're going about this thing. So it's very contextual, right? Like, but yeah. you need to know what context, right? Like that's that's the whole thing. You need yeah, to know Contextual when might it... not be the word. Contextual is not the word. It's like what problem we're trying to solve. Because for example, you mentioned like, uh, let's say onboarding a new team member, right? So a new person joined the team. This We need to get this person up to speed. So what can we do? Let's have this person pairing with us, right? So I get my next task and uh, we will say, hey, a new person, why don't you pair with me on this one? Or like we're going to assign this task to you and I will pair with you whichever way we go and say, look, let's do that together so that we can accelerate your process. So then there is a very clear goal in that pairing. Why we are using pairing? We are upskilling someone. That is one thing not only uh, onboarding a new member, but maybe working on an area of the system where one person has expertise, the other doesn't, and so on and so forth. But there is an upskilling goal for the pairing. Another one, as Mesh said, for example, sometimes, look, we have a problem. I'm not quite sure how to solve this. I have a few ideas, but I don't even know if they're good or not. Let's have a chat together. Let's bring, let's bring more people in. You can bring more one person more, and do a pairing and some people mob like we use mob programming so but then there is a time box to so say like you know what let's spend uh, x amount of time together so we try to figure out a way forward and that can be the low level detail of code can be uh, uh, a design can be the architecture but we are pairing to try to understand the, the, the problem and decide a way forward but once we decide that way forward once the unknowns were clear, even if you need to spike, that could be a good, uh, depending on how we do the spike, we could do the spike together, depending on the, the, the level of exp experience we have. Uh, then we still have a goal. We are still trying to uncover and we are bringing more brains together to solve the problem. But once the problems are solved, or if I need my space, I say, you know what, Mesh, like I'm in a place where I cannot even explain to you what is in my head, I need, give me some time, give me a couple of hours. So I do some work on my own and then I will be in a better place to bring you in and, and have that debate. And MASH could do exactly the same and you. So, so but, but see what I'm saying? So you are using the practice according to your needs. You are bringing the extra brain, brain when you need uh, or you are trying to upskill or you are trying to disseminate knowledge, which is a, a, a way of upskilling, but there's always a reason to be applying per program. And I think that it's very difficult to be very creative uh, when I'm pairing with someone. Sometimes I just need my space. So like, let me well, work. There, there, is a, there is some, I don't know if it's pseudoscience or real science behind it, right? Is that, you know, you're kind of the system one and system two theory. Um, that, you know, when you start talking, your, uh, your system two, uh, I guess that's the kind of creative part does kind of switch off because system one is engaged because that's the one that's handling speech and conversations. And of course, through conversations, you can get insights, but you you can't get into this deeper thought patterns that actually are quite um, parallel. And that's your system two at work, right? And those kind of things can't happen when you are engaged in, in a conversation or trying to explain something to, to some, someone. So we're, we're hitting the 30-something minute mark, right? And we still haven't gone into the question of how do I complete <laughs> no, like, uh, we, we talked about, we, we more, to, more or less touch a, a lot of the, you know, the foundation for, for this stuff. But um, if we were to go and, and answer that, right? Like, I'm trying to adopt a new practice or drive the adoption of a new practice. How do I convince uh, X, you know, my manager, the business, um, my team, whatever um how would you go about that and and i guess 
in a structured way like if you were to start somewhere no like well how could you approach it no that would be a good mm -hmm. next step I guess. you want to go first mesh or do i go uh you can you can go i'm sure you've written about it extensively <laughs> <laughs> there's a very, book, very good book called the software craftsman that has a full chapter on driving technical change but uh, the, <laughs> so so th this this is true for driving anything any change uh for me and the most common mistake that developers make and i made that mistake myself loads of time until i learned uh we try we start with a solution we go to people being other developers in the team or the, the the business or the manager or whoever and we go to them and say we need to adopt tdd we need to adopt we need to start using pair programming we need to start mobbing we need to do microservices we come already with a solution to a problem that those people don't recognize and for me like driving technical change if you want to if you are asking the question how do i convince you need to be first of all before you try to convince of anyone about anything let's make sure that that person perceives the same problem start from there because otherwise what i've seen happening is big fights big arguments it's like my solution versus your solution and no one knows which problem we are trying to solve and this puts people on opposite sides people that are naturally on the same side people on the same team uh, or the manager like the manager is not the enemy the manager get, wants to get the job done they want that project delivered everyone wants that project delivered that feature delivered everyone happy so in theory everyone's in the same side but we create that conflict because we go with a solution to a problem that is not commonly understood so i would start from there first of all how do you define problems and if you told if you want to be more specific about the technical practices TDD and things like that. Well, we start from how long does it take to test our software today? What is our testing cycle? What is our release cadence? What is the big impediment for us to have a shorter release cadence? We start from there because everyone will have an interest in, I assume, in reducing the release cadence and making sure that the release are more, uh, how can I say, are safe releases, there are not bugs. If we start from there, then we everyone agrees oh yeah that would be a good idea to do that okay what are the possible changes that we can make in the ways we work that would enable a shorter release or a shorter qa cycle and so on and so forth where tdg is one of the solutions but it took but now we are brainstorming everyone is on the same side trying to brainstorm ways to to, to solve a problem that they all agree on that's where I would start from. Uh, and I think that goes like it's at a slightly higher level, but as Jose said, you know, that goes to start with the why. Mm -hmm. Right? Uh, you know, why why are we doing this? And how does that benefit the goal of the team or the business? Right. And if you start from there, then you should put these practices in that context. You can uh, you you will have a much better chance of convincing. But also, when you start with with this, one thing that people often miss is that you know there is some sort of discipline involved in feedback in trying to understand that you know the our actions, the way we are changing the process, and these practices change the process. Are they moving the needle, whatever needle that may be, right? And this is something that I find we are actually quite bad at in software development is that is this idea of experimentation. If, if we are trying something, what are the key results that will help us understand if we're doing it well or if we should be doing it at all, right? And, you know, kind of put those front, invest some time in gathering these things so that they help you. You know, as you mentioned, you know, there's this kind of, there's this high level kind of business met metrics. And then you've got this proxy like release cadence uh, uh, or deployment frequency. Yeah, you know, you've got lead time and these kind of things, the four key metrics come to mind. But uh, so if you start gathering those things and see how the practices that you have, you're adopting underneath are moving the needle in some, some ways. It could even be 
you know, like uh, more subjective things, like how comfortable we are in making this change, you know, kind of some kind of survey or how, how happy the team is and all those kind of things can be combined as well. And so then we, we, we really start understanding how, uh, how much of a benefit our changes, these technical changes that we are making in our process and practices, how they are helping us. I'm, I'm, I'm going to come at it from a perspective of uh, a bit more structured, but it, it, everything fits together, right? So for me, what we're talking about is creating that sense of urgency, right? Like if you're following any of the change models, like for instance, the Cutter model, no, it is it's about, you know, creating that awareness, right? Like, why are we doing this? What is the benefit that we we will get from doing it? Or uh, what is it that we are avoiding that will hurt us? Because no? that's the other no, uh, part of this, uh, from doing this. And uh, we actually have a, a good blog post, shameless plug, uh, on, uh, on actually creating a business case for a change, a technical change, whatever that is. If it's, you know, adoption of a practice or whatever, the focus is the same, right? You look at, you know, what are the metrics that will, how will this impact? What's the uh, status in the industry, right? Because that's another thing, like what's the competition doing? Maybe they don't care so much about what they're doing, but they care about what, what others are doing, right? Um, so, so creating that, you know, storytelling and, and, um being able to explain is step number one if you're not clear on why no it's just because i want to try it and that's it that's gonna reduce a lot the impact that you can you can have in that no um and for me if if that first step is there like the urgency and we didn't talk about for instance a skepticism right what do you do with people that nah, this is not going to work or you know people who already tried it no and they they're burned no this is the third time that we're going to try to you know break the monolith and uh, microservices and it didn't work last time and uh, no so how do you deal with that and that's a that's also at the beginning right like you don't you don't wait until the end to to deal with that right so uh, in those cases there's plenty of things that you can do it's not only about gathering that information but having that conversation with them okay it didn't work why didn't it work what was it that you know we we sucked at so that we are we are, we can make sure that we're not making the same mistake again right that's that's a an important part the other part that i feel helps a lot uh, regarding that you know awareness stage is is also showing competence right it's like we're doing this but we are doing it in a competent manner we know we know thinking, we know what we're doing we know what we're doing <laughs> even if you don't know about the particular practice or you you understand what the risks are you understand you know what the needs that you need to fulfill are and you're constantly communicating how you're handling those and that's also a very important part of easing out that resistance that people may have. No, it's like, no, what if, what if you know you don't do it properly? And, and, and starting to build that trust, right? So that those for me are kind of like first stages, kind of uh, no. And then you need to move on to preparing the ground, right? So if you don't know about the skill, you or you don't know about the practice or whatever, you need to learn about the practice, right? You need to get the proficiency uh, uh, somehow. Uh, and then, you know, you start making those changes and you start small, right? You start with, you know, uh, just refactoring a little bit of the, of the code or just testing some, you know, the new stuff that you're going to, which is easier than, you know, the, the stuff that you already have in place. Or, you know, you, you choose how you're going to build uh, that, you know, success that will slowly turn the into track a record. The, the yeah. traction. No, the, the, exactly. The, that track record that will help with uh with this now and, and going back to the experimentation that you were talking about no and and once you have that you know you can show a uh, you know indications of, of you know good results once you have uh, you know clarity of, of what it is that you because sometimes you you may realize that the problem is somewhere else this is where you started right but you you learn more about uh the the uh, problem no and about the solution as, as you're going along right then you find ways to really anchor that and and turn it into the way we do things right like either uh, bringing it into the culture or bringing it into the systems that you have in place right like things like you know uh, how we do pull requests or you know like the, the the systems that you already have in place in order to anchor that into a more um 
that let's say permanent no to some extent a uh, way of, of doing things which is also going back to the start with the solution that's that's not great it's, it's where people want to go no we should do things this way and you know but people don't know what they don't know why they don't know how to do that but you're forcing them to you know you're starting at let's change the systems that we're using instead of going there and, and bringing people along in that journey with you no and i, f I feel like that's the the overall narrative should be something like that i don't it, it's gonna be different for everyone no but uh, I feel like that should be the overall narrative for it. Yeah, yeah. I, I, there are a few things that you mentioned that I would like to to emphasize because I I, I I feel that that's where I failed in the past, and I see a lot of people failing. If it, like for instance, there is a lot of fear in changing, and the fear is being less inefficient, uh, less efficient, or introduce risks and stuff. So if you really feel like Driving change. Driving change is sometimes a very uh, difficult uh, thing to do because you need a lot of energy, and and quite often you 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 have a lot of resistance. So you really need to to want to do that. And quite often it's not going to give you a big financial reward or, or any other reward except from the the personal reward, the, the satisfaction of working in a better way, right? So. Driving technical change can be quite. There is there is probably a word in English that I'm that I'm missing here, but uh, not very rewarding. Let's say sometimes for the amount of effort that you need to put in. But there are ways to minimize that. You mentioned competence before, Jose. How many times I've seen developers going to their teammates because sometimes convincing other developers to adopt certain technical practices is harder than actually convincing the manager, right, or the business. And, but I've seen cases like, uh, for example, a developer say, hey, we should all adopt TDD. And then people said, no, we why? No, we should. And then they said, like, okay, but like, show us then. And the, the person driving the change, they sucked at TDD. They were extremely slow because like the, what, what happened like in a few contests that I was in, like mainly when I was before co-judents in an investment bank, People would give the keyboard and say, okay, so show me how we do that. And we had an extremely complex code base. And at that point that, you could, that, that someone said, you know what, you've been talking about that. This is this code that we have, which is very complex and stuff. Show me how we do this refactoring, this refactoring how we it test drive that code. And at that point, if you suck at it, you lost it. That person will be saying like, you know what, you are asking me to work in a different way First of all, you are implying that what I do is not good enough because that's what you are doing. When you're doing te driving technical change, there is an implication in there that whatever we are doing as a team is not good enough, right? Otherwise, we would not change. So that implication exists already and it's part of the resistance that we have, right? So, so then we say, okay, we need to do some things differently. Great. If you can show that many with technical practices, that's your chance to shine. So give me the keyboard. And if you are able to do that, because people will feel more comfortable if they can learn from someone, if, they, if someone can lead. So, okay, well, show me, because people want to work in a better way. They're not just rejecting because they, whatever reason, like they, they normally would be keen on, on working a better way, but they need, but you need, to, you cannot just tell them this is a better way. You need to show. So having, Having that competence is key. How do we get that? Well, you practice. You take your own time and practice. If you really want to drive that change, you take your time and practice because it will be useful for you as a professional anyway. Right? So that, that is one element that I find this that is, is This is a good, is a really good point because it brings up the, the conversation around the scope of the change that you're trying to introduce. You know, the, the whole, you know, be the change that you want to see in the world and, mm. and all that stuff. It's, it's a lot about... The man in the mirror. It, <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's a bit about what you can change, right? And what you can change for sure is how you behave, right? So, mm -hmm. so you can start with you. Right. But then that's that's like the, the most inner circle. No? And then there are things that you can affect directly, right? Like your team or the people. That, and then there are things that you cannot affect. And those will require a bit more of a, 
you know, a journey to to get there, no? to be able to affect that either through other people or, or influence uh, that kind of stuff. But people start, eh? sorry? So no, go on, go on, go on. But people start trying to change things that are a lot of the times outside of their control or even turning that into an excuse, Yeah. right? Not to change themselves. Uh, one thing that we used to do, like, you know, previous company doing change management, that kind of stuff is like, we would run a survey that would say, you know, how much do you think the organization needs to change? How much do you think your team needs to change? And how much do you think you need to change the what you're doing, right? And a lot of the times the consistencies were, you know, do I have to change? No, I'm, I'm doing things perfectly, <laughs> right? The organization needs to change. Uh, my team... Uh, more or less right but it, it's always you know that perception that it's it's somewhere else that needs to change and that is a that is a it goes against what you're trying to accomplish in the in the first place and you shouldn't uh, infra you know uh, value you no know, or, or undervalue uh, the impact that what you do has in in everything else right and, yeah. and that's something that you can you can do so this It, this talks precisely to that, you know, like choose your battles. That's one one aspect of it, yeah. And also, you know, you are the one that can, you know, before, I guess, if we go back to the original question, how do I, you know, convince? Like, if you're thinking about the other guy, you know, the, the other person, maybe you're already starting in, in, the different, in a different place because you can't really, you know, convince or force people. They will convince themselves. Like, if you show them, no, if you, if they try it, if, like, these things, I've never seen, like, oh, we had this conversation and they came out of there, like, thinking that, that it was great and, yes, they, they want to try it. No, they may have told you that, Right. But they're still thinking a lot of the time, you know, they still have those fears. They still have those things that maybe were creating that resistance, right? And that's a, that's so, an important point. Yeah, uh, there, there is a parallel to, to this, however, I think. Um, we are, when we talk about driving change, especially technical change, um, there is the thing around practices and skill and, you know, all the, all the things you mentioned apply. Uh, But there are, there are other elements as well where I think it's less about personal skill and it's more about ownership and leadership, right? So there are certain things that are you are looking to change. They're not related to getting everyone upskilled. They are relating to, related to getting a, I don't know, like a, a continuous delivery server up and running. Right, we may already be doing, and or the current uh, way of testing is really bad, and and showing an experiment on how, like for, for an example, our, our take is we were talking about this investment bank, for example, where they were running these acceptance tests that were taking days, right, and and still failing, and. And but no one would have the courage to actually to throw them away uh, because th there was no one wanted to own this problem, right? So so I feel that when we're talking about change, we there is this there's kind of skill and personal be the change and all those kind of things, but there is also this ownership and leadership, and as you were talking about impacting the organization and showing the way with smaller experiments and uh creating uh this confidence in an alternative uh I, i think that's also a very necessary part of being able to to drive change yeah i think that like for example we we could summarize from what i heard from the points like for example one thing is if you're driving change and 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 here i'm i'm making an assumption that this is an environment that is not very receptive to the change that we you are proposing. Because some environments are more receptive for innovations and, and attempts, and you don't need to do a lot to, to try things out. But there are other environments that are harder. So that's the, the, the assumption that I'm making here. So in, in those more those challenging environments for uh, changing things, first of all, make sure that you are good at what you do. By the change that you are proposing, make sure that you are prepared. If it's TDD or refactoring stuff, 
practice, 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 like be really good at it. So when we grab the keyboard, you can show to people how it's done. And they will, not in a, in a, in a, in a, in a how can I say, um, in a, what's the arrogant word I'm looking way. for? Yes, not in an arrogant way. Hey, look at me, look how good I am and stuff. No, it's more like to reduce that, that fear. So like, you know what, like, Maybe you could do this, like in this case, we could do that, but in a more amicable way, because you are trying to bring those people to your side. We are not trying to be superior to them. We are just trying to, to say, hey, we could do these and, and show the advantages, right? So that we're is one thing. We're solving a problem together. That, exactly. We're solving exactly. a problem together. We're not, I'm not trying to push the solution onto you or, exactly. or you know, so, arguing about which solution is better. Yeah, that's that's the thing. Yeah, so for me, the summary from what we discussed is actually a good point, Jose. Uh, like, let, let's agree on the problem that you're trying to solve. Be good at what you do so that you people can feel comfortable that if we go in that direction, that is at least one person that we can rely on in that journey. Uh, so I just forgot the other points that I was trying to make, but you mentioned. No, uh, leadership was in there. Leadership. Yeah. 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 So, and courage. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Ownership. So this is what you said, Mesh, that, that I, I took from this as well. So as you are trying to, to drive change, you need to start owning that change. You need to behave in a way that say, look, we're going to take care of it. Yeah. So we're going to change things. Oh, yes. I remember the other point as well. So on top of that, that you also mentioned, Mesh, and we mentioned in a previous episode, I think on the consultancy one, reduce this, the, 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 the commitment and the risk. So instead of saying like, from now on, this is how we do things, and this is a big commitment, propose an experiment, propose to try that new technical practice, that new way of working on the next story, on the next sprint, or start with a pair or do an experiment. So you reduce the size of the commitment. And this is much easier. Someone not to allow you to do a small experiment, they need to be really bad. So I mean, so normally people would be a bit more open to allow a small experiment. So for those for me are, are, are things that you can do to drive technical or that to make it easier to drive. And the one thing that we didn't have time probably to address are the different type of skeptics as well. As, uh, try to learn why people are rejecting what you are proposing. Maybe it's your, you that are not making the right case, but not always, this is always where I start from. So for example, if I propose something to someone and I meet resistance, my starting point is like, maybe I'm not making myself clear. How can I change the message? How can I explain more what, so where I'm failing in that communication, that's where I start from. That's what I, I was going to mention, right. communication as one of those aspects, because we we kind of give, for, you know, have it for granted, uh, but but it's not, right? Like, And especially, you know, when you're trying to communicate with people that are not, you know, other developers or whatever, right? Like the talking in their language, understanding what their needs are and, and talking to those needs, uh, explaining clearly what it is, you know, what are the benefits and so on and or where we want to go. This is another thing like this is this, you know, this is the vision of what we want to do. Right. And we're all going this direction to even to to the people in your team. Right. Before you mentioned like what our testing strategy or whatever. Right. Like that's also maybe not a, a problem scale. It's more maybe of, of alignment. Right. Getting people understanding where we're going to go, you know, get, get them aligned and start working in that direction and then constantly communicate. This is the process. This is the you know, this is the um, the value that we're getting from it. This is what the result of the experiment. Well, now we're going to try this other thing. This is the progress. Oh, this is what we learned, because a lot of the time people also take this experiments and they're they're not experiments. They're pilots. Right. We try this, doesn't work, you know, we scrap it. And when in reality, it's more about we're, we're trying this to learn what it is that's not going to, because we know that out of the box, we're going to find problems. We've never done it before. Right. So what do, what did we learn about this? Yeah. How are we going to solve those things or pivot or, or do something else in order to deal with, with what we just learned and move forward? And that's another aspect of communication that is, that is not there. And you need people and this links back to, to leadership as well, because you need people who are good at communicating, who are good at, you know, they are good at getting people on board as well. Yeah. You also need people with, you know, authority 
Yeah, you need people with that creativity as well. That maybe they're they're great, you know, coming up with ideas, but not so good executing. And you need people who are really good executing. And the, all those people are leading as well, right? Yeah. All those people are exercising that leadership. So the, the, don't think about it as you know this is the person that is going to be leading the adoption yeah. of yeah. blah blah blah. Because the, the reality is that it's a group thing. And and the way that I see it, it's a bit like a funnel. Now there are people who are like already on board they're like woo, right and usually we start there but those may not be or may not have everything you need in order to to make this mm -hmm. you know go into the early majority and, and be adopted uh, as a whole right so mm -hmm. it, you you also need to take a it's about a strategic approach to to how you uh, how you deal with this right yeah. and that's included in you know communication leadership and so on yeah there is just one thing that i would add like to add uh, before we wrap up is that it, it's okay for people to reject i think that it's okay for people to reject certain things so there are for me there are two things that i'd like to, to, to mention one you as the person proposing a change try to inspect or introspect and see if you are not kind of a fanboy for example you need to have the right reasons to propose what you're proposing. You cannot just say, hey, I love TDD, so I'm going to push TDD every opportunity that I have. Make sure that you, you, you are solving the right problem with the thing that you are proposing. So that is one side, right? So another side is the, the other person. And all of us, maybe we've been in the other side as well. So we propose changes, but other people, people propose changes that we need to agree so that we can work as a group. And, and, and when that happened, we need to analyze how we react. Uh, for example, just saying, hey, I don't want to do TDD and stop there. I'm just speaking TDD as an example. It's also not a good professional attitude, assuming that we agree that we have a problem to solve. Let's say that we have like the, the test suite, we want to reduce and so on and so forth. So if you say like, we have a problem that we agree on, but you are proposing CDG and say, I don't want to use that. That is also not a good professional attitude. And it's okay for you not want to adopt X practice, but you need to have an alternative because the right question for me is not, for example, I don't enter in debates if you like TDD or not. If, if I say, hey, maybe we should adopt TDD and someone says, I don't want to adopt TDD, I say, well, it's all good, all right, not a problem at all. What do you propose instead? that we do so that we can offer that that we can solve that problem but that needs to be the tone of the conversation if you don't want one thing what are the reasons and what are your or what are your concerns what is your proposal even if you don't have a proposal it's okay as well but you shouldn't raise okay i don't have a better proposal but i have those concerns is there a way for us to mitigate those concerns but it needs to be that conversation. It needs to be, a, as you were saying, Jose, is, is a collective uh, decision in here. And I think that organizations should watch out for people that are just not wanting to change because they become a disruption and they can be a big source of, uh, uh, well, they can demotivate a lot of other people that are trying to, to make a change and evolve the organization. Especially if those people are sitting in positions of authority and they feel yeah. threatened or their authority threatened because things because the status quo may not yeah. be maintained. So. There is one thing that actually I was thinking about this and this kind of goes from there is uh, we haven't had a lot of time to discuss is kind of the social element and politics because making change have happened, politics, social elements, you know, how you gather your allies, all those things matter too, right? So if you could be creating the best argument in the world, but if people around them don't like you or you've done something to, to them before that they're just looking for a payback, then you probably won't get that through. <laughs> so be aware of those yeah. things as well. Yeah, maybe, maybe we need another episode to go through the different types of people and, and, and a yeah. wider driving technical change at a wider level, not only at the local. Uh, yeah technical practice level. Cool. cool. Okay, so we, we are past the hour. Um, yeah. So any final thoughts before we go into closing? 
decide. I've done my final thoughts already. <laughs> the, 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 only, the only final thoughts that comes to mind is like, don't be disheartened. Uh, it is tough job. It is really difficult to, to introduce new practices uh, and change in general, but it can be very rewarding as well. Even if you don't achieve everything you set out to achieve, that process of trying to convince people to do different things, even if you don't achieve that, it's a very enriching process. It, it tells a lot about yourself and how you communicate, how you structure your arguments. And, and those are good skills to have anyway. Hmm. I, I would add just one thing like, uh, you know, this is also a skill, right? As you mentioned. So learn about it as well. Uh, and just to get some, you know, some people started maybe, um, there is a really good article called Why Transformation Efforts Fail that goes through, you know, mistakes yeah, that, that people make that ultimately, you know, make things go downhill, right? So if you understand where you're going to be making mistakes, you can at least, you know, figure out a way to mitigate those, right? And, and a way to address those. And having that perspective uh, will get you, you know, farther ahead than not having any plan or not, not understanding what is happening because it is a process. Yeah, that transformation is a process. You can get better at it and you can learn it and you can, yeah? um, but you need to not only focus on the technical practice that you want to, that you want to put forward and look things holistically, look at things holistically, right? And uh, that's, that's, you know, a suggestion that I would, that I would make. Okay, so let's let's close up then. Uh, as usual, if you like the conversations that we're having, you know, suggest topics. You can do it in the comments. You can do it, you know, LinkedIn, whatever. Uh, like, subscribe, so that the algorithm and also you get the notifications when we put something new out. And see you all in the next episode. See you next time. Thank you. Bye bye.